Build back better with those three words and three trillion dollars in spending. President Biden will kick off his administration's ambitious plans to boost the economy in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. And he has his sights on three major targets. That's quote unquote traditional infrastructure, such as transportation, waterways, broadband and clean energy, quote unquote human infrastructure, such as investments in early childhood education and community college. And the third and perhaps most important to keeping the U.S. competitive globally Research and development. The past few years have seen the U.S. slip as a global leader in innovation to rival countries, especially China. Will Biden's three B's allow the U.S. to regain their spot on the global podium? Find out on today's episode of The Fiona Show, R&D Tax Credit Podcast. On that note, I'm going to hand things off to Cross-Border Solutions Director of R&D Tax Incentives, Rahim Walji, to help us break down Biden's plan to boost R&D with our guest today, Cross-Border Solutions Chief Economist, Mimi Song. Rahim, you have the floor. Thanks, Matthew. Really appreciate it. Mimi, it's a pleasure to be joined by you today and wonderful to be speaking with you. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, same here, Raheem. We never get to do this together, right? So <laughs> No, I'm excited. I'm excited. So let's kind of set the stage because, you know, I know a lot of folks hear you in the transfer pricing world and, and your expertise and your knowledge shared there. We hear you, of course, as a regular guest on the Fiona show, transfer pricing. In terms of the R&D side, you know, really want to open up the conversation for you today. And let's just kind of jump in and start talking about why R&D tax credits are vital to innovation, right? I think that's going to be the main topic today. Do you want to set some initial thoughts from your side? Sure. I mean, I think when you think about innovation, it's a really important consideration, if you will, for any business or any economy to grow, right? And so innovation is a cornerstone of economic growth in a lot of ways. And companies, I think Matthew had alluded to this in the introduction, companies are motivated to innovate in competitive environments, right? Where they're going to be able to take certain advantages of that innovation and that's where R&D tax credits come into play. I think historically, when you think about one of the best incentives, for example, right, and this is very relevant today, the patents on pharmaceuticals is a very motivational tool for companies to do a lot of heavy research and development in that particular space because R&D, innovation, it's expensive and not all of it is going to result in an actual product that's going to be successful. And so that's part of the challenge. How do you motivate companies to make sure that they continuously invest in ideas and thoughts that could potentially be groundbreaking, but, but may flop and it's a sunk cost? Well, you have to give them some sort of credit for that, right? Absolutely. There's got to be some sort of incentive at the end of the day, because to your point, there's a lot of not just you know monetary resources, but time and effort and, and you know human capital, if you will, mm-hmm. that gets expended in this process. And you know, sometimes the question is not every company can afford to set aside significant portions of the budget. But then when you have tax incentives that help with that, I think that's where you see companies start to say, OK, you know what, let's focus on innovation. Let's make it a priority. Let's do that because the government's helping us to sort of subsidize those costs. And you see the overall benefit impact throughout the entire U.S. economy, right? I think that's the goal, at least. 
That is the goal. You're right. So let's jump into the proposal itself, right? So we've got Biden's Build Back Better plan. It's sort of made up of three components. You've got the American Rescue Plan, you've got the American Jobs Plan, and then you've got the American Families Plan, right? So when we jump in here, why is it just as important from the administration's perspective and, and your perspective to invest in R&D as traditional infrastructure, right? So those, those bridges and things that Matthew was introducing us with, as well as what the president has called human infrastructure. Why include that piece at all? It's this concept, I think, of reinvesting in the people, right? The U.S., we have some of the largest technologically developed companies in the world. If you think about companies like Google or Apple, Apple, historically, they've spent over $10 billion on R&D in 2016. And that type of innovation is really what sets these companies apart right? Apple's whole model is think different. And so in today's society, Apple's products have really helped us rethink the way that we communicate, the way that we understand the world, the way that we think about obtaining information. I I mean, before the Apple iPhone and before any of these technological advancements, I used to have to go to the library and apply the Dewey Decimal System, right? And look into an encyclopedia to do my research papers for school. And that's clearly not the way things happen anymore. And so this concept right now is to really help build that mindset of innovation again, to be able to continuously educate our people here in America and to attract talented minds to this country to help to continue to innovate, invent, to try to break through on new product ideas, new business ideas, create new jobs. All of this is a catalyst for economic growth, right? When we were listening to Matthew earlier, one of the key things here to note is that many other jurisdictions around the world they do provide competitive advantages for spurring innovation and growth. And in China's no exception to that rule. They've actually spent more money than any other country around the world in terms of R&D expenses, right? And so the U.S. is trying to remain competitive with all of these other markets, especially like the Asian markets, you know, China, Japan, South Korea, Korea, for example, they've done a significant amount of innovation as it relates to semiconductors, right? And they are the ones that first came out with a terabyte, if many of you guys didn't know that. So the U.S. has to continuously reinvest in R&D, in its human capital, if you will, the human infrastructure side of things in order to make sure that we continuously try to help with our economic growth and and stay competitive with the rest of the world, right? I absolutely agree. I think we've seen this slide down, right? And the white paper from the White House, you know, acknowledges that we're falling behind in R&D. And that is a primary driver for this triple B plan, as Matthew called it earlier. And ultimately, if we don't make these changes happen, right, if we don't enhance our things like cybersecurity right now with pipelines being held by ransomware, right? And all these types of things in terms of, so you have the security standpoint, you have the technology standpoint, you have the innovation, all of these different things really come into play, right? And how you incentivize, how you protect. So I think we see a little bit of this sprinkled through the plan overall from the Biden administration, but I think it'll be really interesting to see how some of these programs actually play out as well. 
Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. You know, what's fascinating, and I'm not sure if you know much of the Asian cultural context, Raheem, but what I find fascinating is that in the Asian cultures, predominantly, the mindset is very much about creating a harmonious society. So if you go to school and you grow up in that culture, you're taught certain keystrokes, right? Like in terms of even writing the letters in the alphabet, you have to write it a certain way, left to right, up and down, and everyone is taught to write things exactly in the same way. So I'm always, you know, I'm always surprised that when we think about culturally those Asian societies growing up that way, and yet today they're still leading in the innovation space, even though growing up you were never taught to do that. Versus in the U.S., our educational system is actually much more supportive, if I can say that, about fostering the minds of young individuals to be able to think outside the box, to challenge the norms and go beyond what's just expected. And and perhaps, you know, in my own personal opinion, I think in a lot of ways we have to take it back to the educational system and continue to do that, right, in order to foster innovation and new inventions. It definitely needs to start from a mindset focus. I think I definitely am with you on that page. The business side of it, you know, the economic side of it, you know, can only, of course, apply to the the businesses that are created. But the mindset does have to change a little bit. And I think while from a consumer standpoint, a lot of people are happy to enjoy the benefits of these advances in technology. I think you're seeing a lot more barriers to entry. You're seeing a lot less of a focus from the generation that's going through the educational process right now and where they're choosing to spend their time and where they're choosing to spend their efforts and enhancing that innovation. So we'll definitely have a generation that has a lot of tools at its fingertips and how they use them and how they continue to build on them will be really, really fun to see, you know, as the the generation continues to mature and start to get into positions where they're really making some big decisions. Right. But we're still going to need to have certain incentives in place, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Continue to foster that talent. You're going to have so many influences coming in, right? So let's let's talk about another influence that's obviously been been a huge factor. You know, it's it's sort of the elephant in the room with, with many, many, many conversations. But what are your thoughts on how the pandemic has influenced the Biden administration's focus or or interest in R and D, if you will? The urgency to develop a vaccine. And clearly, that's one of the key areas of R&D that a lot of companies were investing in over the past year. It created a significant amount of urgency that the companies needed to get something quickly so that we could control uh, the impact of the pandemic. It's not as if they could just 
pull a vaccine from their closet and they say, hey, here, here we go. We got something in place for this, just for this, right? So it takes so much research and so much funding in order to be at the position where we are today, thankfully, right? And I feel like we're in such a good position that there are multiple vaccine providers right now, right? Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson. And I think there's also a fourth one, an AstraZeneca one that, that's currently being evaluated. And so those vaccines, if there was no need, then no one's really going to be spending the amount of time and effort into the R&D associated with the vaccination of a non-existent virus. So clearly there was a need here. But then there's also the upside to the companies, right? And the companies themselves, they wanted to, well, I, I think they first had this moral goal to make sure that clearly from a human perspective, we can control this issue. But then even from a business perspective, it made sense because they're going to be able to fill this demand, a very high demand, and they're going to be able to receive a benefit or an R&D incentive, at least from a business perspective, that helps them to alleviate some of the millions of dollars of costs that they've had to spend in terms of the development of that, right? So the UK, for example, I know that they are actually offering to increase R&D tax incentives. And they're also raising the corporate tax rate, though, right? And so part of that is, okay, well, we all suffered from this pandemic and tax revenues are short. So we might need to raise the corporate tax rates to help bolster lost tax revenues. But at the same time, hey, we don't want to hurt these companies that have significantly invested R&D efforts in, to help with the pandemic situation. So they've increased the R&D tax incentives to be able to make sure that, you know, companies are not disincentivized to continue to evaluate potential vaccinations or cures or, or things of that nature for the existing coronavirus and in anticipation of other future medical challenges, if you will, right? So I do think clearly the pandemic has also influenced the Biden administration's interest in the R&D tax incentives because it's only natural to do that in anticipation that these companies, they don't want them to feel as if they're being left out, hung out to dry, so to speak, after racing to get these vaccines out so effectively in such a short period of time. I, I don't know if you've been listening, but there was some questions about whether or not some of these patents that normally pharmaceutical companies are getting would normally receive, right? A patent for, I forget exactly what the patent life terms are, probably around 20 years, mm -hmm. where there's some questions out there about whether or not these particular pharmaceuticals, because of the nature of the pandemic, because it's such a global widespread issue, hey, should these patents perhaps not be issued for these pharmaceuticals because it's such a widespread phenomenon? And there's going to be arguments on both sides of that to say, well, listen, these companies did what they did and they spent millions and millions of dollars of time, effort, research to be able to develop this. How are you going to take away the incentives associated with what they've done for the world right now, right? that's going to be an interesting outcome in terms of I'm going to be looking at, you know, where they come out with that at the end of the day, because I don't think it would make sense to necessarily 
eliminate the patents right, for pharmaceuticals. Why now? Why, why at this particular junction per se, right? Maybe sure. temporarily. Sure. There's always this balancing test, right? You know, is that the right way to support and assist, you know, countries that may not have access to resources and, and limit whether certain populations can get access to the vaccine based on cost or things like that, right? So I think you have a good point that why now, why this potential drastic change or, or deviation from the norm? Right. Are there maybe not better ways to address this, right? And I think you're seeing the pandemic have certain impacts in other ways as well, right? So you're seeing some of the Build Back Better plan has focuses on rural areas, right? To get away from having all of this concentration of tech and innovation in very, very few areas across the country to get that spread out. You're seeing a focus on inequities across different populations and different groups, right? Whether that be gender-based, whether that be race-based and other cultures and other limiting factors that have been shown to be, these populations have been shown to be disproportionately affected either by the pandemic or other areas, right? So I think there's a lot of that influence, you know, as you mentioned, of the administration looking at how R&D can help respond to the COVID pandemic. Sure. I mean, the small businesses are probably the ones that were the most impacted because of the pandemic, not necessarily able to survive given the current business framework, right? And I think that spurring innovation is one of the ways to help these types of companies survive and endure over a longer period of time. They're going to have to figure out, okay, how can we compete with these bigger, stronger companies who have the cash available, who have the balance sheet to maintain themselves and sustain the pandemic where we do not necessarily. And perhaps this investment in the R&D space or this additional credit in accordance with the new administration's plan is going to help motivate these businesses to think that way, to think about how to improve what they can to better compete. And then being able to do that because there's a form of a government subsidy available to them, right? So. Yep, definitely. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, Big Four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp and so we've been talking about biden's administration we've been talking about the covid pandemic we've been talking about how a lot of the policies that are coming into play are being put forth by the administration could impact r&d i want to take a step back a little bit and talk about some legislation that was passed earlier on in 2017 so We talked about in prior podcasts on the R&D, we've talked about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, right? The TCJA, 
which has some provisions in it that are going to have longer lasting impacts and and affect the way things are done in, in a different way. But I know you had originally expressed that you wanted to ask me some questions about this. So what were you interested in understanding more about on the, well, on the PPA side? Interestingly enough, this has come up in many of our discussions with prospects and everyone wants to know about the amortization (laughs) issues and the impacts that would have on the R&D spending, right? If it actually takes effect next year. So let's start from the beginning, this concept of amortization. What is exactly the Biden administration proposing with this new amortization schedule? Sure. So what ultimately is going to happen here in 2022, so this actually isn't even part of the Biden administration plan, right? This is a leftover from the 2017 Act and sort of a way to address the budget issues within the Act itself. And so what the amortization schedule is going to change to is that instead of allowing businesses to deduct 100% of their expenses within the year that they expended them, they're now going to have to spread them out over a certain number of years in this case the amortization is going to be over five years. So you can see where a business, let's just take $100,000 just because it's a round number and I think it's significant enough for people to see value, right? So Mm -hmm. you take $100,000, you could have deducted that entire $100,000 in, let's say, 2021, right? A lot of companies would need it. They're spending it in that year. They want to be able to deduct it in that year. Unfortunately, what's going to happen in 2022 is you're going to have to spread that out proportionally over or based on a schedule, right? Over the course of five years, you know, it could be 20% each year. Sometimes you get 50% the first year, 20%, you know, there's sort of a a sliding scale, but that's ultimately what this particular legislation is going to result in when it sunsets in 2022, the amortization schedule is going to change now to this five-year period. And isn't that more along the lines of U.S. GAAP, though, right? Sure. I think you can see that it aligns with other you know, policies and principles that are in play. But I think to your point earlier, right, when we were talking about the significant amount of resources that go into investing in these things, at times, smaller businesses can't afford necessarily to make a big spend in a year and then wait a few years to recover it, right? right? And so I think that's what the biggest challenge you're going to see is maybe not so much at the at the bigger player levels or in the big leagues, but you're going to see it in these small to mid-sized businesses, right? You have COVID that's stretching budgets and, and thinning margins. You have human capital issues, right, with finding the right people and, and making sure everybody's staying safe and the extra resources that go there. And then now you're saying, oh, I can't even deduct the full amount of what I spent this year. This is mm-hmm. going to be a big change. And now I have to figure out how to make up for that gap, right? So so to speak, pun intended, but not using it in the same way as you were mentioning. Yep, yep. And so the challenge that we are anticipating is with this amortization, with the inability for companies to actually deduct the expenses in the same year that they're taking, it could actually have an impact to jobs and R&D related labor income. Is that right? Yes, that's the biggest shocking factor when you look at all of this, especially in the environment where we're trying to add jobs and we're trying to increase the viability of businesses and make sure that they can survive and grow and, and innovate. I, I think some recent studies were showing, I think somewhere about $4 billion in, in reduced R&D spending every year within like the first few years, first five years. And then 
that more than doubles to about 10 billion annually in the second five wow. years after that, right? And so I think the math that they did was it was about 23,000 jobs or so that would get reduced and income, you know, R&D related income of around three and a half billion dollars. So huge, huge repercussions if that changes, at least, you know, from what the, the sentiment that's predicted in terms of what businesses will do now that they know that that's a change in the, in the schedule that they need to follow. So it seems like these two points are opposing one another, right? I mean, the focus on actually trying to increase R&D spend and innovation, right, under this new infrastructure plan versus this amortization schedule issue, which is ultimately contradicting that and it's going to de-incentivize, right? So it's like a push and pull situation here. So certain competing initiatives, but what are some of the potential solutions that we may want to consider, I mean, or we should probably, uh, even from a practitioner perspective, right? What's ideal? I think that's a good question. There's always going to be this balance, right? There's got to be a budget at the end of the day. There's got to be some sort of of strategy or structure to the process, right? At the end of the day, you've probably heard a lot of people say, we can't just keep printing money. Mm -hmm. So one of the obvious solutions, right, would be repealing the amortization provision that's going to sunset here as we go into 2022, that would avoid a lot of the challenges that we're seeing, right? And, and buy some time to figure out an alternative approach if, if there is one. The IP perspective, right? So there's some thoughts about eliminating or modifying FDII, right? Foreign-derived intangible income and making sure that companies can't shift IP abroad and, and make sure that they get taxed on IP-related matters here so that, that that continues to remain here. There's incentives to keep IP here, right? So you not only get some revenue back, but you also incentivize companies to keep investing in their human capital to generate more IP. We have the tax rate, right? So I think we're in our option number three, increasing the tax rate, which is again, part of what Biden's administration is looking at doing as well to replace lost revenue from COVID or to specifically use that increased income to focus on certain areas, right? Which I think what you're seeing with with Biden's administration. So I think those are probably the three You know, I'm sure there's many, many more ideas and solutions, but those are probably three big ones that would help with that process. We've also got others in place right now, right? Doubling the R&D credit, specific incentives for certain industries with respect to manufacturing, semiconductors, medical technology, pharmaceuticals. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities there, but at the end of the day, one of my personal opinions is a solution would be just making a much more standardized credit, right? You know, reduce the burden sometimes that comes with applying for the R&D credit in various countries, especially here in the U.S. There can be some hurdles for companies if you're not thinking about it actively. That's why we were able to help so many companies claim the benefit, right? I think because there are some hurdles you have to jump through, it's it's helpful to have knowledgeable tools and, and resources around to do it. I think that would be a big step, but those three, repeal it, Tax the IP, increase taxes overall seem to be three big ways, but I know those are going to have significant ripple effects, right? With lots of different yeah, parts yeah. of the business community. So, you know, it's really just trying to find a balance between all of those and, and make sure that at the end of the day, not losing sight of the goal being to enhance the overall economy and the reinvestment into it, whether it be training, infrastructure, or R&D specifically. Sure. There's continuous along the lines of the whole FIDI. There's also that de-incentivizing offshoring of IP with the guilty tax on top Mm -hmm. of that, right? Mm -hmm. And, And now the Biden administration is also much more supportive 
of the whole idea of this global minimum taxation. Why move IP? You get no benefits from that. We're going to tax you anyway. So, <laughs> Absolutely. And look, I think at the end of the day, the good thing is R&D is a you know, big focus in this plan. Guilty, FDII, a lot of these international shifts that were happening or international transactions that could occur to remove some tax liability. Now, hopefully, instead of doing that, we incentivize these companies more on the R&D front and the innovation front. And instead of saying, just focus on overall tax, like, okay, yes, maybe your tax rate's a little higher, but here's an incentive that you get for doing this. So all in all, it ends up being, you know, about the same, why go create all these very complex international tax structures and let's just keep it, you know, domestic here, reinvest in the economy and, and really help not only the population, but the infrastructure and the economy as a whole. Right, right. So it sounds like there's clearly an opportunity here and there's an avenue for Biden's infrastructure plan to really help bolster economic growth in the U.S. So it's exciting to see what will happen over the next few years. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it and you know, excited for the potential. Definitely some challenges ahead. I don't think anybody's putting their head in the sand and ignoring that. There's definitely some hurdles to, to be overcome, but definitely a lot of opportunity to invest and, and create a platform and foundation for the future. I think that's the opportunity that's in front of all of us. So Yeah, I love it. And you know, it's, it's funny because you and I, we work in separate worlds and yet it's all within the international tax and tax space. And so it's, it's amazing to see how our worlds cross over one another. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's all the tax codes all connected. Right? It is. Uh, Raheem, always a pleasure. No, thank you Mimi, for being a part of this. I appreciate it. And, and um, this was really, really fun to get to talk to you and hope to get to do it again soon. Me too. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross-Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai slash rd. That's xbs.ai slash rd. Welcome back, everyone. We want to thank Mimi and Rahim for today's insightful discussion. And we'd like to thank everyone at home for joining us. Don't forget to check out the entire suite of Cross-Border Solutions tax podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This podcast is worth two one-fifths of a CPE credit to get your credits email, The Fiona Show, at xbs.ai. Stephen Markow is our associate producer, and he wrote today's script. We'll catch everyone next time.